Are you ready to dive into part eight? We're in part eight of Fearless this morning. Um, this, this series, I don't know about for you, but man, this, this series just like, it just hits right home for me. There's a, there's the scripture, the scripture says, uh, that the word of God is like, is sharper than a two-edged sword. It says it, it divides even between the bone and the marrow. In other words, it like, it like gets right into the heart of our life. It, it gets right into our soul. It's, it's reading our mail. All right. It's in our business, the word of God. And um, today we're going to get into some really beautiful. Uh, we're going to get into some really beautiful stuff uh, coming out of David's greatest failure. Uh, David's epic fail was this, this was just last week. If you were here, um, David just blew it on a, on a level that is really unimaginable. Um, and and uh, this should give us hope um, because God restores David and redeems David. Um, but I don't want to give away the end of this story. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you uh, the passage of Scripture. Uh, it's, it's almost the entirety of 2 Samuel chapter 12. Um, and then we're going to dive into it and see how it applies to us. So let's get right into it. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12 says, The Lord sent Nathan to David. Nathan was the prophet of God. Uh, Samuel had already died, and now there's a, an, an, another prophet, and his name is Nathan. And he comes to David, and Nathan comes to David, and when he came to him, he said, uh, David, there were two men in a certain town. One man was rich, and the other man was poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, all kinds of livestock. But the poor man had nothing except one little you lamb that he had bought. That's all he had, a little lamb. He raised that lamb and, 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 he, and, he grew, and, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food. It, it drank from his cup. It even slept in his arms. I mean, this was like a, a member of the family, this little you lamb. It was like a daughter to him, Nathan tells David. He says, then a, a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to, to, to come to him. Instead, instead, he took the ewe lamb, the one little ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man, and he prepared that lamb for the one who had come to him. In other words, he had all the livestock in the world that he could have slaughtered and, and, and made a, a meal for his friend, but he went and took the one lamb that the other guy had, slaughtered that lamb, and served it to his friend. This ticks David off as it should righteous indignation he's angry scripture says david burned with anger against the man so david's thinking if this is a guy in my kingdom uh he's going down because i'm this just fires me up he took this one guy's little lamb he had all these other sheep he took this one he's mad david burned with anger against the man and said to nathan as surely as the lord lives the man who did this must die i'm going to pronounce judgment on him right now he must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and, and he had no pity. Now, sometimes we have to be careful about how strongly we judge somebody else, you know, because sometimes there might be a, um, what do they call it, a board, a plank in our own eye. Uh, uh, David, if you, if you were here last week, you know he had, he had committed a few things, uh, a few sins, had a few failures under his belt that he hadn't quite dealt with yet. He hadn't quite worked out those uh, sins yet. Uh, and so he's hearing this story about another man doing this t very terrible thing. And he goes, I'm going to, I'm going to find that man and I'm going to kill that man. And then Nathan says, Hey, David, um, 
you're the man. He says, David, you're the one. You're the one who has taken something that belonged to somebody else. And you had everything you needed and more. And you took the one thing that meant something to somebody else and you destroyed that. Uh, You are the man. And then Nathan really leans into David. This is going to get kind of hellfire and brimstone today. Okay, let's just lean into it. All right. Uh, This is what Nathan said to David. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to you, David. He says, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house. I gave you your master's wives into your arms. Uh, I, I, I gave you all of Israel. I gave you all of Judah. And if this had been too little, he says, I would have given you even more. It, whatever you wanted, I would have given to you. But why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? Why did you do what you did? Right? I would have given you anything, David. I was giving you everything. And yet you went and took something that didn't belong to you. You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword. And you took the wife. Um, and you took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, he says, the sword will never depart from your house because you despise me and you took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. And he's not done. He's going to keep going. This is what the Lord says. This is Nathan. Out of your own household, he said, I am going to bring calamity on you, David. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and I will give them to one who is close to you. And he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Does it seem like God's upset in this moment? Does it seem like there's a little bit of, there's a little, it's, just, it's a touch angry. It, it turns out that God does not like it when we oppress those who have less than us. It turns out that he doesn't like it when we take from someone who has less than us and that we harm them. And it turns out that this really upsets his sense of justice and his sense of mercy and his sense of rightness and fairness. And so Nathan just leans in on David and says, I'm going to bring calamity. I'm just going to destroy. I'm just, I'm coming after you, David. David had an opportunity in this moment to continue doing what he had been doing. Because up to this point, every sin that he had committed, if you weren't here last week, you might be missing some of the context. But he stole another man's wife. He tried to cover it. When he couldn't cover it, he had that man killed. uh, And now he's taken the woman in a way the, the hypocrisy is so great because he actually did all of this and then he brings her into his household as if he's such a good guy that, you know what, I'm going to look out for this poor woman who like has no husband, but he still hasn't revealed the fact that actually I'm the one that killed her husband. You know, it's, he's, he's, he's not come clean yet. And Nathan is calling him out and saying, the Lord is coming against you, uh, David. And David could have continued down this path of hiding and concealing, but he didn't. And this is where the story begins to change. The scripture says, then David said to Nathan, I have sinned. I have sinned against the Lord. He owned it. He he didn't say, uh, I did it, but she made me. I did it, but uh, I was, you know, I have my reasons. I did it. He just said, "I've, I've sinned. I've missed it. I've blown it. I've failed. And this is how good God is. Because right after Nathan says, man, I'm gonna bring calamity down on you and judgment and People are going to be sleeping with your wives in broad daylight. I mean, then he says, Nathan said, David, the Lord has taken away your sin. Aren't you glad that we have a God who's merciful and that when we repent of our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And, and we just go, God, you know, when we own it, he actually forgives us and he extends his mercy. It's amazing. Uh, there are consequences 
that Nathan says. He says, you're not going to die. But because by doing this, you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. Uh, Bathsheba's child is going to die. And Nathan, uh, after Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born to David, and he became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and spent the nights lying in sackcloth on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get up from the ground, but he refused, and he would not eat any food with them. On the seventh day, uh, David's baby boy died. David's attendants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought while the child was still living, he wouldn't listen to us when we spoke to him. How can we now tell him that the child is dead? He may do something desperate. We've already seen he's so distraught, and and maybe he'll do something desperate if we tell him this. David noticed that his attendants were whispering among themselves, and he realized that the child uh, was dead. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied, he's dead. Then the scripture says David got up from the ground, And after he had washed and put on lotions and changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he went to his own house, and at his request, they served him food, and he ate. His attendants asked him, why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept, but now the child is dead, and you get up and eat. He answered, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows, maybe the Lord will be gracious to me and let the child live, but now that he is dead... Why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back? I will, go down, I will go down to him, he said, but he will not return to me. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he went to her and made love to her. And she gave birth to a son, and they named him Solomon. And the Lord loved him. Today I want to preach from this very moving passage uh, on the subject failed but not finished failed but not finished let's pray together and then we'll dive in lord thank you for your word thank you for even the 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 intensity uh, of your word that just just impacts us so deeply god we ask that you would use this story and use david's life and use your word god to not just inform us but to transform us uh, to, uh, to, to, to allow us and to catalyze us to open our hearts and to receive uh, your grace and your mercy, your forgiveness in our life uh, for those failures that we have in our own lives. Uh, God, that we might be able to move forward into what you have for us. We thank you for your grace and your mercy today. We praise you for this in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. 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 So when, I, when I'm putting a sermon together, um, my practice is pretty much the same every time. What I do is I, I do my research and I study, and then uh, I kind of outline the sermon, and then I start to draft the whole sermon. And I, for me, I have to draft the whole sermon. I have to write out the entire sermon. Uh, and so I'll spend quite a bit of time, you know, just typing it and putting it and revising it and all that kind of stuff, write out the whole sermon. Um, and then what I do is I make a copy of my sermon. I do it in Google Docs. And so then I make a copy and put my copy over here. And then um, I will, on my copy, I'll take out all of the words of the sermon except for the scriptures and maybe a couple points that I want to remember. And so I'll have my full transcript here, and then I'll have my just my you know one- or two-page scripture thing over here. Um, and then what I'll do is I'll take my transcript, and then I'll kind of, a few hours before I'm, I'm ready to preach or the night before or whatever, I'll review it and kind of analyze it and pray over it and think about it and that kind of thing, right? And then I set it down, and then I just take the scripture and I go preach. Well, a few weeks ago, 
um, I was getting ready to preach at an event at a different church, and I had drafted an entire sermon, just this whole sermon, very, you know, and, and it, was, it was at an event where I could stretch it out a little bit, preach a little bit longer, you know. So I probably had 5,000 words, you know. I got to keep ours to 3,500 words, amen, or else we just go right over like we did this morning. But anyway, so, um, so we, we, I had this whole sermon drafted, and um, I was getting ready to, to copy it and, and, and put it over here and then delete it all, except for the scripture, and then I was going to study this part. Are you still with me right now, or if I can thoroughly confuse you? Okay. But what I did, what I didn't do, is I forgot to copy it. I forgot to actually copy it onto another document. I thought I had the copied document, but I had the original document. And so I was getting ready to, like, have my copy document, and I started to systematically delete the entire sermon that I had been spending a whole week drafting. Like, line by line, paragraph by prayer, the entire sermon... I deleted. And I was actually getting ready to go preach it that day. It was a Saturday a few weeks ago. I was up in the family center. Tamara and Nathan Shad, who's part of our visual production team, uh, they were up there. And, and, and it wasn't until that I had deleted my entire sermon, which I had not yet reviewed, that I realized that I had deleted my entire sermon that I had not yet reviewed. And so I went, uh, Nathan, Tamara, because they're more technical than I am. And they come in, and I go, I deleted my whole sermon, and I, and I got my suit on. I had a, you know, and I'm like, I got to go preach, but I don't even, I don't remember what I wrote. I've got to, like, go study it and stuff, right? I, how do I, and then, Nate, I think it was Nathan, says, um, you know, we're all standing there kind of panicking. I'm panicking. They're kind of panicking, but I'm really panicking. They go, Nathan says, um, have you tried Command Z? Now, um, I don't know if you guys know what Command Z is, but it's a function on the Macintosh, uh, which is uh, God's favored computer system, um, that, that allows you to undo something that you just did. So if you punch command and then Z, whatever you just did gets undone. So he said, have you tried command Z? So I said, no, I have not. But at this point, what is there to lose? Because I'm just going to get up in front of a bunch of people and not know what I'm going to say. So I'm going to try it. So I hit command Z. Well, the last sentence of my sermon appeared. Ding. And then I went, let me try that again. Command Z. And then the, like the second to last paragraph uh, reappeared. And then I just went, command Z, command Z, command Z, command Z, like 40 times. And by the, end, by the time I was done, my entire sermon was back in order. And there was great rejoicing throughout University City because I was not going to embarrass myself. So the whole sermon is back, and I was able to print it out and review it and go preach it, right? Wouldn't it be amazing if there was a command Z for your life? Wouldn't that be so awesome? If like the thing that you did, you could just go, didn't like that one, command Z, I'm just going to undo that. That's gone. I'm going to command Z. Some of you would be command Zing the dessert that you had last night, the little extra piece that you had. Some of you might command Z uh, a, a toxic relationship that you entered into. Some of you might command Z that time when you swipe left and you probably should have swiped right. Are you taught? Are you? Uh-uh. So sometimes we need to command Z something in our life. Somebody would, would command Z that timeshare that you bought and you said that was an investment and now it's a divestment. And so now... We, we, would all, we would all command Z some things in our life if we had the opportunity. David, if he had a command Z on his life, would have command Z'd all the way back to the moment where he made the first mistake. 
He would have commanded Zed that moment when he gave the death warrant to Uriah and sent him into battle. He would have commanded Zed the time that he sent the messengers to Bathsheba and said, bring her to my house. He would have commanded Zed the time that he got up from his bed and started wandering around on his rooftop. In fact, he probably would have commanded Zed all the way back to the moment when he decided to go to Jerusalem and hang out in Jerusalem instead of going to battle with his men. He would have commanded Zed all the way back so that he could start fresh and that he could move forward without making all of these mistakes. And the problem for David and the problem for us is that there's no command Z in life. There's no command Z in life. We cannot undo the mistakes that we made. We cannot erase our failures. We cannot eliminate the sins that we've committed. We just, we can't undo them. They've been done. They're done. They happened. They're there. So what do we do with our failures? What do we do with our failures. When we blow it, when we make a mistake, when we act out in anger, when we say what we shouldn't have said, when we think what we shouldn't have thought, when we look at what we shouldn't have looked at, when we talk to people we shouldn't have talked to, when we don't talk to people we should have talked to, how do we, what do we do with our failures? What do we do with our failures? If we're like David, probably our first temptation and our first impulse is to do what he did, which is conceal. That's what he did. His first his first impulse was mistake, problem, conceal it. Here's the problem with concealing. When you conceal a problem, you complicate a problem. Have you ever noticed that? When you hide it, you make it worse. When you try to cover it, you exacerbate the problem. When David saw Bathsheba and brought her to his house, he made a, he committed a grievous sin he slept with her, and then he thought, well, you know, the way I'll conceal this, I'll just send her home. And then nobody, it'll just be over, right? This is last Sunday, if, you, if you've missed it. I'll send her home. But it got complicated because she sent a messenger to him saying, I've conceived and I'm pregnant. And he says, I got to cover for this. I've got to conceal this. So he brings Uriah in from the battle, and he says, Uriah, great guy. Hope everything's going well. Have a couple drinks. Go sleep with your wife. That'll cover it. Because then everybody will think that it was your child and you'll think it was your child and it'll cover it. Right. But it got complicated because Uriah said, I can't sleep with my wife when my brothers in arms are out in battle. I got to get back out to the battlefield. I got I'm a man of honor. I'm a man of integrity. And so it got complicated. So David said, I got to cover it. I'm going to send him out. I'm going to have him killed by the sword of the Ammonites and that will cover it. Right. And then Nathan shows up at his house and he says, hey, man, we know what you did. It's every time it's getting more and more complicated. I, I, uh, my, my daughter and I, Eden, she's three, and she and I have begun to play together. We finally reached that age where she'll, she likes to play with me and not just mommy. Uh, she likes to come and hang out with daddy every once in a while. But kind of the, some of the games that she likes to play, I'm just not acclimated to playing. Like the, this week, she wanted to play picnic. And picnic basically means, you know, you put a blanket on the floor and then you have this rubber food that she had in a little bag. And we sit down and we eat rubber food and we pretend we're drinking tea. And, and it's, not, it's not that fun. But um, <laughs> I was so exhausted by the end of the afternoon. I'm like, how do you do this? I need a shoulder massage. Um, so, so, so we're playing picnic. And I've got my coffee and I made her some chocolate milk because I was like, we can't pretend we can't drink air this whole time it's got to be something for 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 me in this thing so I got my coffee and you can have chocolate milk so she's got her chocolate milk and we're talking and and you know and we're, we're playing and then she accidentally knocked over her chocolate milk on the carpet which my wife 
did not know about until just this very moment, right this very second, <laughs> right here, okay? Um, and I said, to, I said to Eden, I said, oh, oh, let's, t- let's, let's get mommy in because she has this spray stuff that you get on, put on carpet and we can figure out how to get this stuff off and let's, let's, let's go get mom. Eden, three years old, says, oh, no, 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 we can't tell mom. <laughs> Don't tell mom. I said, well, why not tell mom? Mom will be very upset. We cannot tell mom. Three years old, she's concealing, right? She's already hiding. Fortunately, God sent our dog Cassius into the room at that moment. And Cassius saw the chocolate milk on the carpet, and he immediately licked it all up. And it's completely uh, indecipherable. You cannot see it. It's totally invisible. My wife will not even know where I'm talking about, where part of the carpet it went on. So in that case, it doesn't prove my point. But in most cases, when we conceal, when we conceal, we complicate, right? When we conceal it, we make it worse. Here's the other thing, what happens, and this is what was happening with David. When we conceal our sins, when we conceal our faults, when we conceal our errors, then we are destined to repeat them. We do them again because we haven't dealt with them. When we conceal our stuff, when we hide it, we end up doing it again. Some variation of it, we do it again because we've never dealt with it. I read an article this week, uh, actually a couple weeks ago, um, from a, a fighter pilot who lead, leads a group of fighter pilots, and they go on these missions. And every time they go on a mission, they go fly the mission, uh, and then after the mission, they sit down for a debrief. And the debrief, the whole point of the debrief is to talk about the things that went wrong. Talk about the things that, 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 that didn't go as planned. Talk about the mistakes of the individuals on the team. Not because they're trying to condemn them, not because they're trying to shame them, but because they don't want to repeat them. And so they come together, and he said they spend 90% of their time talking about the 10% of things that went wrong. Because usually a mission is, you know, 90, 95% right. Everybody did what was right. But even the tiniest errors, they will come, and they'll spend 90% of their time. They'll probably do a quick, hey, great job, guys. Pat you on the back. Everything's cool. But what they really want to focus on is the mistakes that they made so that they won't repeat them. Because they, when you repeat them, it gets worse and worse. And the stakes are too high, Right? In our life, a lot of times we will conceal our faults, but when we conceal them, when we hide our sins, then we repeat our sins. And when we repeat our sins, we end up in a spiral of shame. We end up in putting ourselves in a, a cycle, a spiral, a downward spiral where we keep committing the same sin, covering the same sin. And then we, we basically integrate that sin into our person. It stops being a mistake that we made. It starts becoming the person we are. Are you with me this morning? It, it, it moves from guilt to shame. Guilt is when you say, uh, that was a bad thing. I shouldn't have done that. I feel bad about it. I'm going to fix it. Shame is when you say, you know what? I guess this is just who I am. And it makes me unworthy of love, and it makes me unworthy of God's forgiveness, and I'm unworthy of connection with God, and ultimately, this is who I am. And what happens is when you adopt that as your identity, then you end up doing things that align with your new identity. You do things that align with who you say you are, and now you are burdened with shame, and so you keep committing the same infraction over and over. It's called a shame spiral. We see it from the very, very beginning Uh, of the Bible. We see it in the very, very beginning of of the Bible. The very first emotion that's discussed in the book of Genesis, the very first emotion discussed in the Bible is the emotion of shame. Isn't that interesting? In Genesis 2, it's talking about Adam and Eve, and it's interesting the way it describes it, uh, describes them. The scripture says they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. 
It's interesting because they weren't, they weren't experiencing, but that's the first time we hear of any emotion in the Bible and the emotion is shame. And it says they were not ashamed. They had not done anything to be ashamed of yet. They hadn't hid. They hadn't done anything wrong, right? But this is kind of a foreshadow about what's, what's to happen in chapter three, because as you know, the, the story describing uh, the human condition says that they ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when they did in chapter three, look at what it says, Adam and his wife, first thing they did, they hid themselves, right? They concealed it. They're hiding. We sinned. Now we're hiding, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called out to them and he said, hey, guys, where are you? You're hiding. Where where are you? And then Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. This is the first time he starts to experience shame. I was naked and I hid myself. Are you tracking with this? I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed. I'm hiding. I'm concealing. I'm afraid. Right. And the Lord said to, to Adam, who told you that you were naked? Where did this shame come from? Why are you experiencing shame? Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? And, and this is what's interesting. Because, because Adam does what we do, right? He, he didn't say, I confessed, I failed, I'm sorry, I'm going to make it right. He says, but Lord, the woman that you gave me right? She, she gave me the tree, the fruit, and I, this is so great, because Adam, if you notice what he's doing, it's like a double defense move, okay? He's like, it's the woman's fault, okay? Oh, and by the way, you gave her to me. So really, Lord, it's your fault that I sent, right? You gave me, you, nah, right? This is what we do. This is another way to conceal, Okay, so then the Lord says to the woman and said, um, what is it that you have done? And the woman says, the serpent, right, the ser- which you made, by the way, Lord, right? This is what we do. We conceal our sin and we experience shame because we're hiding and we're repeating and we're doing it over and over and over again. Uh, there's a researcher by the name of Brene Brown who does a lot of work on the area, on the topic of shame. If you haven't read her books, they're pretty amazing. And she does a lot of research on shame. And there's an interesting quote that I'll read uh, from her. Um, uh, she says, shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Something we've experienced, done, or failed to do makes us unworthy of connection. She says shame is much more likely, much more likely to be the source of destructive behavior than the solution. You see, the thing is, the, the problem with this spiral that David is going down and that we sometimes go down. And by the way, his predecessor went down. Saul went down a shame spiral. If you don't know this about Saul, he was the king before David and he would sin. And God would give him an opportunity. Samuel would confront him. He'd have an opportunity to repent. He wouldn't repent. He would cover and conceal and hide. And then when he would cover, conceal, and hide, he would repeat it. And then he would experience shame. And the scripture says that Saul's life ended by Saul falling on his own sword. He ultimately self-destructed because he could not pull out of this shame spiral. He could not pull up and pull out. He just kept, he just kept bringing himself down, down, down. So how do we turn this picture 
in our life? How do we go from experiencing failure and sin and, and mistakes and the things that all of us have done at some point in our life, in our, in our heart, in our mind, in our body, whatever it is, how do we turn this around? If you look at David's story closely, what's so beautiful and fascinating about it is that the story begins to hinge and the story begins to turn and chain, change on one line that David said to Nathan when David said, it's me. I have sinned. This is a moment of repentance. This is a moment where he didn't blame. He didn't point. He didn't say, we have sinned. He said, I, I own this. This is me. What he's showing us in the picture of the story is that if we actually want to overcome our failures, we've got to own our failures. We've got to own them. Own them means we take responsibility. We don't point out. We don't say, yeah, but, yeah. Mm-mm. This is the hardest thing. Man. We just, we own it. We just say, this is mine. I'm going to take this and I'm going to own this because when I, when I own it, then some things can happen. I can have control over it. Um, some of you, uh, some of our law students are graduating from law stu- uh, school right now. And um, they're in the process of getting ready for the bar exam. One of the things they have to do at the bar exam um, is, to, uh, is to do a character and fitness test. Character and fitness test is where you, uh, you the, the bar asks you all kinds of questions, like kind of in-your-face kind of questions about things you did, didn't do, said, if you've used drugs, if you've been arrested. You know, it asks all these questions, and you have to answer them. And then it says, actually, also, in addition to answering them, we'd like the names and the phone numbers of the emails, addresses of people that know you well, um, because we'd like to just sort of follow up with them and kind of double-check your answers against their answers about you. How do you like that, right? It's a little bit invasive. But what's the, the key to answering the questions in the bar exam are not that you conceal, because the thing is, something that would not disqualify you from, the, from joining the bar, something that would not disqualify you will disqualify you if you, don't, if you don't reveal it. If they find out that you concealed it, because when you conceal something, it has power over you. And so, so David's life, this moment in his life where he's saying, I have sinned is his moment, his moment in life of saying, I own this. The scripture says this. It says, he who conceals his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces their their sins will find mercy. This is the beautiful thing about this story because it's in this moment. It's when he confesses. It's It's in the moment when he says, I'm gonna stop the process of the shame spiral that I'm on that is causing greater and greater destruction. I'm going to stop that and I'm going to do this. I'm going to receive God's forgiveness. And you know that right in that moment, Nathan said, you're forgiven. I'm going to receive God's forgiveness. You, You cannot receive God's restoration until you have repented. When we repent, there's something waiting for us. When we own our sin, then God extends his forgiveness and he extends his mercy to us. It's a beautiful transaction. Um, I did some research this week on unclaimed property uh, across the United States. There's, there's between 60 and $80 billion worth of unclaimed property that's sitting in the controller's office at different states around, uh, around the nation. I actually double-checked. You should do this. I, there's $51 waiting for me from Walmart. And um, I don't know why, we're, we're, but $51 in the state controller's office in California. I'm going to go get that this week. I'm going to get my $51 and go have a milkshake with my family. So um, 
Yeah, there's 51. So, but there's billions of un, billions of dollars of unclaimed property. Like if, if you were, if a check was coming to you and you moved and it went to your house and then it bounced back, bounced back, and it ends up at the state controller's office. And the, the trick to getting that money is that you have to prove ownership. You have to show the state that I own this, and then you get it. It's the same way with God's forgiveness. If, if, you, will, if you will allow yourself to own your sin, own your failures, own your mistakes, and say, those are mine, those are mine, then God immediately extends his forgiveness. He, he gives you something because you've demonstrated ownership of your stuff. Are you with me this morning? Look at this scripture. It says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. If we say, God, I, I, I've, I've blown it. Immediately, David experiences mercy. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's, he's, we can't command Z, but he can delete our sins. Isn't that amazing? He can wash them away. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. This is what David did. He confessed it. He owned it. He received God's forgiveness. And that is when he was able to start again. Some of us today need to start afresh in some area of our life. We need to start again on some area of our life that we have not fully owned. We have not fully received God's forgiveness and his grace. And God is saying to somebody today, hey, I've got forgiveness for you. Just because you failed doesn't mean you're finished. I can take you where you need to go. Just let, let me extend my grace to you. Let me extend my forgiveness and my mercy to you. Let me give you what I've got for you. It's a beautiful exchange. We had, a, we had a, a member in our church who's now one of our leaders came to me about a year and a half ago. And he said, hey, man, I, I want to just kind of talk to you about my testimony. And he came into my office and we, we started having a discussion about his testimony. And he said, you know, I'm not going to tell it because I'm going to show it to you in just a minute. But he told me about a sin that had kind of gotten a hold of his life and began to sort of spiral him down. And really started to jeopardize his life and fundamentally disrupt his life in powerful ways. And uh, because God is merciful and graceful, uh, God exposed his sin. And, and why don't I just let him tell the story? Let's watch this video. Hello, my name is Adam Gronwald. Um, my wife Jessica and I have been coming to One Family Church for just over five years. Um, I can't say that I've ever been in a church quite like this, where everyone really does feel like a family. Um, I am also the coordinator for the safety team. Um, I am excited to be here today to share my personal testimony and story of freedom uh, with you all. My story begins, probably like a lot of other people who dealt with this, uh, around 13 or 14 years old. Uh, pornography, um, from the day that I stumbled upon it um, on the internet, took a hold in my life for nearly a decade. Um, I remember the, the moment I found it, I, I didn't know what it was. I knew it was wrong, but I also didn't bother to tell anyone. I saved it for myself. And it was a well I went back to and back to and back to. And with every visit and uh, every look, the shame drug me deeper and deeper. Um, I grew up in a more strict uh, church environment not that people would have been unwilling to help me or anything like that, but such that I believed a good Christian boy like myself should be able to dig himself out of that hole or would never have been in that hole in the first place. With that thinking, the shame drug me deeper. And as I fell deeper into that shame spiral, it led me back to say, well, I'm no good, I'll never get through this. 
and go right back to the pornography, right back to that addiction. Yes, I had been a part of many um, youth groups and Bible studies, had accountability partners. That barely scratched the surface. There really wasn't a reliance on God or a knowledge of the danger of what pornography posed to, to me um, and to those around me. It was an addiction that followed me to college where I tried to keep it a secret as much as I could. Um, my girlfriend at the time, now wife, you know, keep that secret from her while we're dating. It followed me into my first year of marriage. I uh, continued to just um, put deeper roots into my soul. Um, and the shame went deeper and the self-loathing went deeper. It continued until um, just after our first anniversary in 2012. Um, I remember the day like it was yesterday. Um, I, I believe my wife suspected that I had had, a, had or did have a problem with pornography, um, though she never mentioned it, uh, until she found all the things I thought I had carefully hidden on the home computer. Um, I remember getting the text messages while I was at work, and I remember the ensuing discussion and crying and fear and sadness. I thought my marriage was going to be over after merely a year, and then that was going to be it. You know, I thought she would have every right to give up on me, but to her credit and by the grace of God, she did not. What meets that memory uh, on the other side of that conversation is the next day when we went out uh, and took a long hike and talked and prayed and, and read the word together. And I committed that day, this issue and this sin would no longer be in my hands as it had been for 10 years. It needed to be in the hands of someone greater. The first step was seeking marital counseling. I began going to a Christian counselor with my wife and uh, also started seeing, seeing him for um, sessions by myself. I got into a very intense Bible study and mentorship program through my church to make sure that I was really sticking to all the things that we had learned in, in couples counseling and my individual counseling. And, and bigger than that, and I think the thing that has helped me the most was just not keeping it a secret. Anybody that asked what was going on in my life got the true story of, yeah, I'm dealing with pornography. That's why I'm doing these things. That's why I'm in counseling. And just kind of shouting from the rooftops that I am imperfect, but it's God who saved me. It's God who's changing me. It's God who gave me this freedom. Um, continued to build that freedom more and more. The more people who knew, um, there's more people keeping me accountable, more people praying for me, more people who, who wanted to truly live out the Christ-designed uh, community that would uh, help anybody with any problem um, they have in their lives. It also came with making hard decisions, putting up very important uh, guardrails in my life. You know, I cut things out of my life that I didn't think were a big deal. I stopped watching R-rated movies. I stopped staying out late on weekends and these sorts of things where um, temptation was more apt to come my way and to cause problems in my life. The other thing that this freedom brings is, yes, there's freedom, but it's not the end of the battle. Freedom is merely just the feeling of knowing that you're not a slave, you're not chained down to the sin and the shame that you had once been. One piece of advice that I would give for anyone struggling uh, with an addiction is to uh, be open. Find a loved one, uh, someone that you care about and that cares about you, 
to confide in and to let them know that you're struggling with and ask them to help you seek help, whatever that may be, if that's counseling, if that's rehab, if that's something bigger than those things. Being open is what's going to set you free. When you keep it a secret, it drags you down into further shame. I take great hope uh, from a verse in James. It says, uh, submit yourselves therefore to God and the devil will flee from you. Um, that's a promise I've held very true in my life and have seen come true in my life as well. Um, you know, if God can make that promise and it work in my life, it can certainly work in yours. Um, he has promised that he will deliver us from the sin that so easily ensnares us. We just have to reach out and take his hand. I love, I love Adam Gronewald, man. The, the courage, the courage to come, to come forward. And, and I kept texting him, you know, for the last couple of weeks. Are you sure? You sure I can play this video? He said, man, it's God's story. It's not my story. And, and the truth is, in some way or other, it's, it's all of our stories. Uh, maybe the sin is different. Maybe the failure is different. Maybe the mistakes are different. But we all know what it's like to be bound, to be struggling, to be afraid to come clean with something that's in our heart or in our mind or in our life. And God's saying, man, just look, man, just open up because I've got forgiveness for you. I've got mercy. I've got grace. Just because you failed doesn't mean you're finished. Just because you failed, David, doesn't mean you're finished. God's got places for you to go. I want to invite us as we get ready to close. I just want to look and we're going to close right now. Look how this story ends. Look at this. Look at the very last scripture. It says, David comforted his wife, Bathsheba, and and he went to her and he made love to her. And she gave birth to a son and they named him Solomon. And the Lord loved him. I don't know if you know your genealogy, but you go a few generations after Solomon, child and begat, begat, begat. You end up at a little, uh, you end up at a little feed trough at a manger in Bethlehem because God didn't tell David, hey man, you've sinned, you've blown it, you're out. He said, you've blown it and I'm going to restore you and I'm going to redeem you and you're going to end up being the great, 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 great grandfather of our Lord and Savior. It's a beautiful picture of how God can take whatever it is that's in your life right now, whatever it is, if you'll open your life to him and if you'll really expose it to him and you'll allow him to redeem you and restore you. He can take you where he needs you to go. Just because you have failed does not mean that you are finished. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you. Your word is so beautiful. It's so powerful. We're so grateful. We're thankful for Adam for sharing this testimony with us. We're thankful that you would um, not cover in your word the sins of David. We're grateful that they are exposed to us so that we can see ourselves in him and we can see your forgiveness in our own lives. I pray for every single person here who has ever felt any shame or condemnation on their life. I pray, God, that they would experience uh, your love today, that even though they cannot command Z, the problems and the failures, that you can command Z. You can wash them white as snow. You can cleanse them with the the blood of your son, Jesus. And so we come to you today with open hearts and we receive your grace. We receive your mercy. We receive your forgiveness and we receive it to your glory and to your honor. We pray this in Jesus' name. Somebody said, amen, amen.